So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and the Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people, and welcome to Bible School. I'm Reverend Kojo. I'm so glad you decided to tune in with us. Um, today, we are in Revelation 12. Revelation 12. Now, Revelation 12, um, I know we've been hitting a lot of them that they're saying are very, very difficult. Uh, it's another one of those chapters. Now, it's probably one of the most important chapters in the canon of Scripture. Uh, because if you can understand it, um, it it will shed light on a lot of stuff. Um, and so, of course, as usual, we're going to reach into various parts of the Bible to make this this particular chapter make sense. And we're gonna we're gonna we're just gonna hit it now. I want you to go ahead and understand that this particular chapter of of Revelation is often misunderstood because of church history. Um, and that whole allegory allegorization of scripture. Um, that led to the anti-Semitism, led to the Crusades, led to Holocaust, led to, to all of these heinous acts and deeds on the earth. Um, and so, but it's widely misunderstood because people want to make the, 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 the woman here at the church. Um, and we're going to probably, we're going to uncover why I don't believe that's the case. And we're going to talk about, uh, who it is and, and all of that good stuff. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. In order for Revelation 12 to make sense to you, you kind of have to understand Israel's place in God's plan. You got to dig deep, understand that God is not through with Israel. God still has a plan and God's word does not lie. And just because they rejected their Messiah does not mean that God is not going to deal with them and get them together. All right. Now, I just want to go ahead and remind you that we are still in that break in between the sixth and seventh trumpet. Um, and so we are, we are still in that break and we are, we are, we're in that, what we call a parenthetical passage where, uh, he kind of leaves the topic of the bowls of or the, the trumpets or the bowls of wrath or the other seven that he's, he's talking about. And he takes a sidebar, um, and, and talks about something else. And then we'll return to it, uh, in a couple of chapters, but let's just go, we're going to go ahead and dive in because this will probably be a lengthy study today. All right. Chapter, uh, verse one, chapter 12, um, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a, one, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, like I said, identifying the woman today is going to be the first task. It's going to kind of help us make a little bit of sense of um, what's going on right here. Why, what, what's, what's significant about this? If, if we can identify the woman, it's going to kind of make sense. So let's start here. There are four women mentioned in the entire book of Revelation. You had Jeze Jezebel, who is mentioned in Revelation 2.20. Um, and she's used idiomatically, 
enigmatically in uh, the letter to the church of Thyatira, uh, you know that uh, Jezebel was married to King Ahab. She's the one who made Elijah crap himself. Uh, <laughs> she's, you know, she was an evil, filth, filthy woman. She was not uh, someone that we would say was a woman of God. She was the antithesis of that. Um, and so we know, we know Jezebel is mentioned. We have the harlot, the harlot we're going to find in Revelation 17 and 18, this particular woman, and then the bride of the church we're going to see in Revelation 19. Now, a lot of people really want to make this the bride of Christ. Um, but I will say this, that if this is the virgin bride of Christ, that she's in big trouble because she's pregnant. Okay, she's in really big trouble because she's pregnant. I'm just going to go ahead and clue you in. We're going to find out in the, in verse two that she's pregnant and that she's travailing in birth pains. Um, and so idiomatically, uh, it, it doesn't work because if the church is to be a virgin bride, then how is the bride pregnant? Um, and you could say, oh, well, the virgin birth. Uh, da, 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 da. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> I, I want to say this. We get, you know, because I, I say this often, I do believe that the... Um, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. It is an interwoven message system. And often we've seen as we entered this study that it can, it answers itself. Um, that what he does not, what he raises, he does not uh, resolve. And if he, if he doesn't resolve it somewhere, he resolves it somewhere else. And so um, with that said, I want to gander or venture to Genesis 37 um, because Jacob, you know, Israel, Jacob, he kind of interprets what's happening, um, in a way that he doesn't know that he interprets. Um, he, he, you know, what, what is, con what is revealed in the new Testament is often concealed in, in the old Testament, but they both work to ratify one another. All right. Genesis 37. Let's look at verse five. It says, and jo Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brother, his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. Lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. His brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream. And told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother, thy brethren, indeed come to bow down ourselves to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. I want to start here because I want you to see that in a multiplicity of ways, Joseph is a type or a model of Jesus Christ. You know, um, we see so many, so many things that are hidden in Joseph that are revealed in Jesus. Um, when he's in jail, you know, we, we, you know, he, well, let me, let me, before he gets to jail, you know, he's, he's hated, rejected by his brothers. You know, Jesus was rejected by his people. He's hated, rejected by his brothers. His brothers sell him into slavery. He's sent to Potiphar's house. When he gets to Potiphar's house, uh, he becomes the chief of the slaves. He's like, you know, favor still rests on him, even though he falls into misfortune. Um, uh, part of his wife likes him. She doesn't realize, you know, she, she wants him to sleep with him. She, he's like, no, I'm, I'm a way better stand up guy than that. I'm not going to do that. And then he goes 
and he's thrown in jail because she lies on him and he's in jail when he's in jail you know there's a baker and the cupbearer down there with him which we can look at because i believe that the bible confirms itself is a is is a concealing of the bread and the cup this precedes passover this is before passover is even a thing so this is not just communion this is not just passover but but we see god weaving and bobbing into uh, the beginnings of the story, things that he's going to cause to come up. you got a cupbearer and a baker there in, in the presence of Joseph. And one dies th- three days later and one gets to live. It sounds like Jesus and Barabbas. He uses all of these types. He, he weaves and bobs them and, and they're hidden now. You know, if you're just reading and you're just in regular Sunday school, you're not going to say, oh, the cupbearer must represent the blood of Jesus. Oh, the bread must represent the body, but he's down there with them. And, and you got Joseph, uh, but you can see the Holy Spirit concealing things that we would not let, we would later be revealed to. Um, Jesus is on every page and I want you to notice that. And, and, and I'm gonna get back, but, but Jesus is on every single page, especially in the old Testament. He's on every single page. And, and, and I know a lot of times we like to teach, well, Jesus is not in the old Testament. He's in the new Testament. He's very much so on the, in the old Testament. And if you read your Bible where you do not believe that he's in the old Testament, you miss the point of the Bible. You miss the beauty of the artistry of it. See, you'll, you'll look at the old Testament as just a law that has nothing to do with you because you're a Gentile Christian. Most of us um, and you'll see it as something that we throw away, that we are just the New Testament people, but we are, you cannot have the New Testament without the old because the new ratifies the old, the new brings to life the old, the new opens things in the old that we didn't understand. There are things that are raised in the old that are resolved in the new. There are things that are raised in the, in the, in the new that were resolved, but we didn't know it was a resolution because we didn't know that it was raised. And so there are so many concepts that need their ratification to be found in the Old Testament. But a lot of us, because we are Gentile Christians and we were not subject to the law, we find ourselves throwing away this Old Testament, not realizing the history. And I again think that that is the result, the a direct result of us um, not understanding the church history. Uh, well, I'm not, not understanding the history of Israel and God's place for it. That idea of throwing them away, that idea of allegorization of scripture. We miss so many, 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 many beautiful things in scripture. All right, moving right along. Okay. Now I need you to trust me because I'm about to take you through a, a wild goose chase, but I'm going to bring it back to the revelation. I promise in Beth Alpha, there's a, there's a synagogue at Beth Alpha in Jerusalem. Um, and it's a little bit unusual because there are the signs of the Zodiac on the floor. All right. Now, every, you know, what's interesting is that because it's in Jerusalem, it is a fairly popular synagogue. They do tours there. And when they do the tours there for many years, there was this presumption that it was proof of, uh, pagan influence in the synagogue. And so they would say, well, this is just proof that, you know, the, 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 the location, uh, influenced the, the synagogue and influenced the Jews and they caused the falling away. And, and that's how they understood it to be. Right. But one of the things that they were interested to learn recently is that in Hebrew tradition, there's this tradition of the Maseroth, which precedes the Zodiac. Okay. The Zodiac Again, is one of Satan's op- is one of his times or his his ploys to rip off that which is God. 
Um, and, and we're going to talk about the Antichrist in a minute, but I'm just going to throw this in here before we get to the Antichrist. It's that Satan works tirelessly, tirelessly not to be complete evil or to appear as complete evil, but to look as close to God as possible. And I'm going to deal with that a little bit later. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole just yet, but I will say that I'm going to say that because what I'm about to say. I want you to understand that his, he, he doesn't try to look completely opposite of God most of the time. He often tries to look just like him as if we can make a choice between him. He does it in the garden. Uh, he, he, he does it in the garden and he, he does it throughout history. He is the master deluder. He wants to cause you to be delusional to believe that you have an option or that he is um, a supreme being and that he, he could too be worshiped. And so he does this thing where he hides himself in a ripoff or a counterfeit of what God has already done. So, but in the Hebrew tradition, there is this thing called the Maseroth, which predates and precedes the Zodiac. All right. Now the Zodiac, um, we, we're very familiar with most of us, uh, are, and, and, and this is just a sidebar. I do not believe as a Christian, you ought to be reading the Zodiac, spending time with it because it opens a portal to Satan's world. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but, but the Maseroth precedes the Zodiac. Okay. He precedes it. Now the foundations of the Maseroth precede the table of nations and the tower of Babel. It is, it's an early, early, early world thing. It is something that was possibly passed down from Enoch and Enon and all of them who came back and walked with God. Okay. Um, it, it was, it was, it was potentially something. Now, if you learn the stars, now the Maserath is, is a way of understanding the stars and looking to the stars to gain insight into the plan of God. Okay. Now, right. Kind of sounds like the Zodiac, you know, the Zodiac, you know, but I want you to notice this and I'm about to take you down a rabbit hole. I want you to notice this, that the Zodiac is this job is to show you more about yourself and who you could be in your life and how your stars align and how you behave. Okay. It's you centric. It makes you the deity. You know, uh, it makes you the deity kind of like a Romans one thing. It, it, it's all about you. The Maseroth focuses on the plan of God and how you fit into the plan of God and what God has going to do it. And, and, and it, it makes him the deity who is the deity and who is and was and shall be. And you know, all of that good stuff. It, it, the Maseroth is focused on God. The Zodiac is focused on you. Mm. Kind of sounds like, um, Buddhist Buddhism or um, even the heresy of centering prayer. It takes the focus off of God and it focuses on you, makes you the deity. Kind of like Satan's problem, like his chief problem. I just want you to notice these 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 ironies, all right? So this is these ironies. Now, but I want you to think about this because the Maseroth, according to the Maseroth, if you learn the if you learn them by the stars by their Hebrew names and you put them in order to brightness, it tells you clues to stories. Okay. It, it tells you the stews of the chorus. Like here's an example. Virgo is a hint of the virgin birth. And when you look at the stars, it gives you, it gives you the story of, of, of the, of that the virgin birth will come. All right. When you look at Lee, you know, we talk about Leo, the lion, Leo, the lion is it, 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 it alludes to this promise of the lion of the tribe of Judah, the 12 constellations of the Maseroth 12. Y'all notice that number lay out the plan of God from the virgin birth to the victory. Okay. It, it gives, it gives hope to a world that is, that is, that is downtrodden. Now the Maseroth comes not at, at Israel. It comes before Israel. 
The Maserath is the, a way for God to communicate with the people of the earth because at this point, there are only Gentiles on earth. There are no Jews and Gentiles. There is no church. It's just Gentiles on the earth. Um, but a way to communicate with God because he's out of communion with man, man at this point. Okay. At this point, Adam and Eve have sinned. They've been kicked out of Eden. They're not meeting up. And so he, he, because God is sovereign and God is merciful and he does indeed love us in spite of our failings and our flaws, he creates this way to communicate that there is a plan. This is before books. This is before, um, hieroglyphics are written on walls. This is before, this is God speaking to the men through the stars. Okay. Scholars believe that the early people of the earth before Judaism, Judaism, taught their children, you know, possibly like Enon and Enoch, you know, Enoch was taken and, and all of them passed this down through them. Uh, but then when the tower of Babel shows up and when, uh, the angels of darkness start procreating with the, with the men of women of the earth, then it's kind of believed that it's corrupted. It gets colored with the pagan legends that we call the Zodiac It's starting to get colored with all of these other things. And he tries to corrupt Satan corrupts and tries to delude and take away from, um, from what God is trying to communicate to man. We see Satan do that. And we're going to, we're going to really dig into that a little bit later. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. We see Satan do that throughout the history of the world. He wants to delude the truth about God. And and because he wants to delude the truth about God, he comes in and he tries to muddy the waters. All right. Um, Now, but the Bible does tell us to look to the start where the the stars were made for signs in the heavens. And so I believe that that, you know, the Maseroth probably was a really good way to communicate with the with the early peoples of the earth um, and to convey just how much he did indeed care and love for them. Okay, now. I want you to think about that. So let's go back to the verse, the verse that we read, um, verse, let's start, go back to Genesis 37, verse nine that we read. And he's, he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, behold, I have dreamed a dream of more and behold the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and they rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother, brethren, indeed come down and, and, and our, I'm sorry, bow down ourselves to the to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his brother, his father, observed the saying. Now, when we look at this, I want you to notice this. Notice this. He said, The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. Now, I just went on this rampage about stars and all of that good stuff. But start see the eleven stars made obeisance to me. Joseph makes the twelfth of the tribe of, of Judah. Okay. Remember, we're looking to the stars for 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 guidance. This is what what the Bible tells them made for signs in the heavens. So we look to the stars to see what God is saying. Right. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. The eleven stars. He Joseph is the twelfth. Well, Joseph would be the twelfth once Benjamin is born. The twelfth of of of. Of Jacob's sons. If he's the twelfth of Jacob's sons, when he makes that that declaration or that um, that star, those stars, we see what we just read in Revelation interpreted. Okay. All right. Upon her head, a crown of twelve stars. Okay. The eleven stars are going to bow to Joseph. Joseph is the 12th of Israel. Okay. The tribes come out of Jacob's house and Joseph is one of them. 
when we can understand that, then we can understand that the woman here is clothed, that here is here. She's clothed with the sun, and the moon. That's a mom and the mom and daddy of Israel. And upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. The woman is Israel. All right. I know that's, that's, that's kind of hairy, but the woman is Israel. We can see it answered there because he has this dream and the, his brothers are the 11 and 12. His mother and his father, Jacob, 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 I'm, uh, Jacob understands it when his son says it, that the sun and the moon is, 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 is him and his wife and that his 11, uh, 11 other sons are part of what will come from him. All right. And so we see that the woman here in our scenario, all right, a great wonder appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun, the moon under her feet, upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. The woman is her Israel. All right. Now that we can understand that the woman is Israel. All right. When we can understand that the woman is Israel, we can, we can also ask the question. So I think that she's the, she's the, he's a, the woman is Israel for the 12 stars, but then how do, how else do I know? Because she brings forth a, a child that will rule on the earth. We see that in verse five, verse five says, if I can ever get to verse five, it says she brought forth a man child who will rule all the nations with the rod of iron. And her child was called up to God and to his throne. Okay. So we, we understand that the woman is Israel Be, and, and see, we, we see the confirmation that in verse five, that the child is going to rule on the earth. So we know that he, either way he's good or bad, but then he's called up to God. So then we know that he's good. If he's going to rule on the earth, who would that be? That would be Jesus. That would be the Messiah. Um, then if we ever had, a, we had another question that, you know, in Psalm two, there's a trilogue between the Godhead and we find these words in verse nine. He says, thou will break them with a rod of iron and thou shalt dash them with a piece, um, like a piece of, in pieces like a potter's vessel. Well, we just saw in verse five that, that he's going to dash them with a rod of iron. So we can, we, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. We, we see this. And so this trialogue between the Godhead, um, is actually pointed at Jesus. If you, you're going to have to really, really read in between the lines, but you see when they're having the trialogue, he's talking to Jesus. And then we see these prophecies, um, that, that are here when we're starting to look at Israel, we're watching that the, she's got 12 stars on her head that would point to Israel. Um, not only do we see that, but she gives birth to, um, she gives birth to a man child who's going to rule on the earth. It sounds like Jesus. Um, uh, well, you would say, well, that's the church. No, the church did not give birth to Jesus. Okay. Israel did the church after all is the body of Christ. If the church is the body of Christ, you can't give birth to yourself. And so that tells me that this guy has to be Israel. Well, then you can say, well, what if the woman is Mary? That's too small because Mary does not represent the 12 tribes of Judah. Mary was a vessel. She was not the birthplace of the 12 tribes. She was merely part of it. And God decided to use her um, for such a time as such as this. Now, and then I want you also to notice that Israel conveyed as a woman in birth pains is mentioned throughout the old, the entire Old Testament. The whole Old Testament, they mentioned Israel is born. Now, I want you to go here and I want you to think of Israel beginning with Eve, which is weird because Israel does not begin with Eve. Eve was a Gentile uh, because there were no Jews on the earth. It was just Gentiles. But I want you to think of Israel beginning with Eve because there was a plan and a promise that God makes at the beginning. Because beginning in Generous, Generous 3, God declares war on Satan. He says, I will put enmity 
between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and that shall bruise their heel. And then we're going to, we're going to, Hey, we're going to, we're going to come back here later this chapter because it's going to make a little bit more sense. But this is also the first promise of the Messiah. And he gets his first title, the seed of the woman, which is a biological contradiction because man has a seed, woman has an egg, but they didn't understand it. But this, that very title is a hint of the virgin birth. Now I want to spend just a second and hopefully I won't spend too much time with, with this, this idea that he's going to put enmity between the, the, and the woman and between that seed and her seed. And I, why I want to start there because first that he makes this promise of a Messiah, he promises to reconcile man in Genesis three, the promise of the Messiah didn't start other places. It started right there in Genesis three at the fall. He says, y'all screwed this up, but I'm going to make it right. And I also want you, I want to start with Eve because Eve spent her entire life trying to make it right. She got this promise from God. God said, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her, and it's going to bruise thy head and he will bruise his heel. He says, I am going to make this right. And when I make it right, we're going to take Satan out. Okay. He makes this promise and Eve holds on to that promise. She holds on to the words of God. And so when she has her sons, when she has her sons in the next chapter, it is paramount and tantamount because not only is she having her first boys and not only is she filled with the joy that parents are filled with when they have children, she's filled with it because she believes she's carrying her deliverance. She believes she's carrying the thing that is going to reconcile them back to God because she got duped. Now her husband, when he ate of the apple, he really willingly ate, but she was tricked. She was tricked and her trickery led the downfall of not just her family, but of mankind. And so she spent her whole life whole nurturing these boys, understanding that one of them should deliver her. And then something happens that her boys are tricked by Satan too. Well, one of her boys is tricked by Satan too. And he kills one of one and the other is cursed. And so she loses them both because one is cursed and one is dead. What am I to do? He said that the seed of me, the seed of the woman, would be the thing that would reconcile us. And now my boys are gone. What am I to do? Cain is still living, but he's cursed. And so surely God is not going to use him. What am I to do? They were supposed to be the deliverer. She spent her whole life because she didn't, I don't, she didn't know that he was going to send a virgin later. He didn't know that there were so many steps in between. She just knew he said it would be the seed of the woman and she knew that she was the woman. And so then, I want you to notice what God happens. Then she see her, she knows Adam again. Her and Adam have sex again. And they become pregnant with Seth. And it is from Seth that the line diverges. But God is faithful more faithful than that. That not only does thousands of years later does he send Jesus, not only does 2,000 years later does he deliver them out of Egypt, not only does, does all of these happen, things happen, but he sends Seth. And in his sending Seth, Seth begets Enon. And then 
men begin to walk with God. Okay? Men begin to walk with God. Oh, that's, that's a blessing. And even though it wasn't like it was before, he begins to avail himself to the men who seek him. And so God, he shows his infinite love, even in the beginning, even though they're out of communion with him. And even though there's not a place to make burnt offerings, they're worshiping God, even though they don't know how to do it properly and they don't have the law and they don't have a Messiah. They don't have, but they learn how to worship God. The reason the boys get in trouble in the first place, they were out of connection with God. But Adam and Eve had taught them that you are to give God an offering. And even though they Cain didn't go about it the right way, they had been taught how to worship. They didn't quite understand worship totally, but they understood that they had to worship. I want you to see this because Adam and Eve walked with God in the, in the, in the garden of Eden. And as they walked with God in the garden of Eden, they had come to know the beauty of his presence. They had come to know him in the fullness of his power. They had come to know him in all that he was and all that he he was and, and chose to be. And as they came to know him in the beauty of his power and to know him in the fullness of his joy, when they came to know him in his presence, even when they were cast down and cast out of his presence and were thrown aside and said, you got to get out of here because you have now ruined the perfect peace that was in the garden. Even in that, because they had an experience with God, they told their children about God. They taught their children to worship, even though their worship now was profaned. And even though their worship now was not as pure, even though they could never be what they were, they still told their children about God. They even looked to the promises of God that there would be reconciliation because once they tasted the presence of God, even though they were cast out of his presence, they still had a hunger and thirst to please him. Even though they now were incapable, even though they were no longer perfect, even though they could not be all that God had called them to be, in spite of that, being in the presence of God and the way that they had been in the presence of God was so rap enrapturing that they taught these boys how to worship. Even when they got it wrong, they taught these boys how to worship and they held on to the promise of God. That is why I don't quite comprehend how you can experience the goodness of God and walk with God and know God and say that you don't believe him anymore. And that's just, that's, that's me. That's me. I'm understanding scripture and understanding how God works. I don't get it. Don't get it. But he does this. He does this. And, and let's get back. He does this and he may, he makes this promise to them when they fall. He says, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy heel and thou shalt bruise his seed. He's talking to Satan. He declares war on Satan. Satan. He declared war on Satan when Satan made you fall. And I think that is a message to you that God loves you just that much. He hates sin. He hates sin. He hates sin. He hates sin. But he loves you all the more. That's why the scripture says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Oh, man. That's what I love about it. Let's move on. Let's move on back to Revelation, back to Revelation two. So I've laid the, I've laid the foundation that he's declared war on Satan. I've laid this understanding that the woman is the, um, the woman is the, uh, is, 
is is Israel. And here we go. And and she being with child, verse two, travailing in birth, birth, and pained to be delivered, verse three. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns upon his head. Now. The identity of the dragon is given in verse nine. Okay. And let's read verse nine verse. I, I, Cause is, he's very clear about who it is. He said, and the great dragon was cast out and the old serpent called the devil and Satan. <laughs> and I love, I love how he writes this. He said, in case you didn't know who the devil was, let me bring it, make it clear. It's Satan. And in case you didn't know who Satan was, uh, the devil, in case you got confused that I was talking about the serpent, let me clarify the one who deceived the whole world, you know, he and his, his, where they were cast out in case you, you, you didn't quite get biblical jargon. I'm going to give it to you three ways. So he makes it very clear. The dragon in ver- is, is, is the devil. Now the color red is only used in the book of revelation twice right here. And with the red horseman in chapter six, which is associated with death itself. Now it would be wise for us to take a second and, and explore the dissension of Satan, as is mentioned in, in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel uh, 28, 28, 38, one of those. Um, but it, 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 would, it, would, it would be wise because we just explored the, 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 the declare, declaration of war. But if we, we can understand the declaration of war, we can't understand who we're declaring war on. Okay, so we we understand the declaration of war. Now let's understand who we're declaring declaring war on. Now Isaiah fourteen gives us an interesting view uh, that I, that happens throughout the Old Testament, where the prophet is speaking to a king, and as he's speaking to a king, it's like all of a sudden he takes a discourse and he stops necessarily speaking to the physical king and starts speaking to the powers that are working in the king. Okay. And so we see that happen right here in Isaiah 14 and again, Ezekiel. And I think we're going to take a second and we're going to go through both of those, because I think if we can understand who we're talking about, then we can get a better picture of what, what's really, really happened. All right. Now let's, let's start at verse four. He says, and thou shalt take up a proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how hath the oppressor ceased the golden city ceased and the Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with continual smoke stroke. He that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hindereth and the whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth in singing. Here the fir trees rejoice at thee and the cedars of Lebanon saying, since thou art laid down, no fellow is come up against us. Hell from beneath is, is moved for thee and meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee. Even all the chief ones of the earth, it hath raised up from the thrones of all the kings of the nations. And they speak and say unto thee, art thou also become as weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp has brought down to the grave, and the noise of veils, and the worm is spread unto thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the, uh, the ground? Which did weaken nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the height of the clouds and I will be like the most high. Now, let's go back to verse 12 really quickly. He says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which thou did weaken the nations? This right here 
is where sin is introduced to the, the universe. Not in Genesis 3. Adam was a, a derivative of what happened here. Now, verse 13, he says, For thou said in, in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit upon also upon the mount of the congregation in the in the side of the north. How was sin born? It was born by pride in the heart of him. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He began to think more highly of himself than he ought. And he allowed it to fester. And then verse 14, he says, he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. I want you to understand that Lucifer was numero uno <laughs> among the created beings. You know, he's often painted as an adversary to Christ, but that's not quite the truth because you can't be an adversary of something you're not even on the level of. Okay. You know, his aspiration was to be like the most high. That, and that's why every time we see the Antichrist, this is why every time we see the beast, he's attempting to be a ripoff of God. I think a lot of times when we see Antichrist, whenever, anytime we see beast, when we see uh, Satan, we want to expect some evil God to show up. And really, Satan is a ripoff of God. He, he works tirelessly to be as close to God as possible. And so he births these world religions that seem close. That's why the Muslim faith believes so much of the Bible. And then at the Holy Spirit, they go their own way. And so it's so close. They come, they come from the seed of Abraham. Oh, they believe Jesus was a prophet. They, they are so close to truth that somebody may read, many people read it and say, Hey, this must, this is a plausible alternative. He's not so far to the left. He is as close to God as he can appear to you so that he may confuse you, that he may deceive you. Now he's, he, he wanted to be just like God. Now I want you to understand that Satan is one of the only five cherubs that we know of. Satan was one of, he was one of the five and he was in charge. Satan was a big deal, but he was thrown out because of pride. And the other four, and that's why the Bible says God hates pride. <laughs> the other four remain at the throne of God and are still obsessed with the maintenance of the holiness of God. Now think about that. There were five. The other four are at the throne of God and they are, they are obsessed with the maintenance of the holiness of God. But Satan was obsessed with making himself as a deity. See, the, the other four, their heart is pointed in the right direction. The other four are pointed in the direction of what God, of who God is and what God ought to be and what God can do. Their heart is pointed toward God. All right. They are obsessed with the maintenance of his holiness. They are obsessed with worship him in the, in the beauty, the worshiping him in the beauty of holiness. They are obsessed with being in his presence and singing of his glory and singing of his praises. But Satan was obsessed with himself. That's why when we find a lot of theology that points everything at you, your, your eyebrows ought to be going up. Your senses ought to be loud. And God does love you and God does want great things for you. But when it becomes all about you, your senses ought to be screaming because that is the spirit of Satan. When it becomes obsessed with you, 
when it's all about what can I get? Who am I? What can, can you see me? Well, is there pride? Do I have the pride? Am, am, I, am, am I this? Am I this? Can I do this? Can I focus on me? What am I thinking? When we get to that place, you need to be putting your eyebrows up and you need to be interrogating what's happening because it sounds like you're being deceived. Okay. Moving right along. Now, this, this here, this here, Satan, this one, this, this Satan, this, this devil had animosity toward Adam because to him, Adam was his replacement or his, comp- his competition. Before, before they encountered Satan, they were perfect. See, we think of our humanity in our brokenness and the fact that we are mortal and that this is a test and that we are only on earth for a certain amount of time. We, when we think of our humanity, we think of how we are not perfect and how everybody's going to die and, and all of these things. We think of it like that, but, but before Satan, they were clothed in light. They had the glorified bodies that we will have one day that the Bible talks about. They had direct access to God. It wasn't just prayer. See, I'm grateful for prayer because prayer wasn't always the case. But before prayer wasn't the case, men could walk with God in the the garden. And because men could walk with God in the garden, it wasn't that they had to be clothed, but God himself came down and communed with man. They, he wasn't behind a veil. He wasn't hidden from them. It, it wasn't me feeling him. I saw him. They saw him. Okay. They saw him. They were clothed with light. And his causing say Adam, Adam to fall had, had, can be seen as him, his acting on his rivalry with Adam that Adam couldn't even see because Adam, because he didn't have the knowledge of good and evil was too ignorant to the rivalry as a child is ignorant to, to evil. You know, this week I um, had to go pick up. I don't really, he's not really my brother, but he's like my little brother, a little pick, picked up, pick up, pick him up from school. Because his parents couldn't be there. And I'm flying across town to get there to meet him, to pick him up from school so that he's not at home by himself. Because nasty, heinous things are happening to little children. And it only takes a matter of seconds for a child to be wrapped up in something that, that they don't understand the dangers of. And all they see is I'm a big boy. Oh, okay. Children don't know the dangers because they're innocent. Adam and Eve were even more innocent than a child. And so they couldn't comprehend the idea of evil because they had not been exposed to the knowledge of good and evil. And they had these glorified bodies and they were perfect before God. And so because they were perfect before God, because they were perfect before God, they didn't know that there was a, there were shots coming. And they came. But that leads me to this question, when did Satan fall? Now, when that leads me to the question, when did Satan fall? I have to go back to Genesis 1. Now, if you want to spend some time, go spend some time in the podcast about Genesis 1, like verse 1. Because, and I'm going to say this, verse 1, I mean, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, or he hovered over the face of the deep. Um, if we study the original Hebrew here, um, and the sentence structure, we could come to possibly infer that it would be understood, and the earth became without form and void. We could infer a gap, and that's why I believe in gap theory. Something to cause a gap would have happened. Now, if something happened and there something caused the gap, I believe Satan's fall happened in that gap. 
I do. Because the earth became without form of water. I, you know, and, and, and we, I'm not going to try. I'm, I really don't want to go down that rabbit hole t- today. Uh, but because it is my belief that something happened in the gap, I believe that that's when the fall came. But, hey, we're going to just go there. All right. Let's go to Ezekiel 28, and then we're going to get back to Revelation because I want you to understand the fall, right? Because if we can understand the fall, we can understand the declaration of war. And if we can understand the declaration of war, then some of this stuff that's going to happen in this chapter is going to make sense. And maybe we need to do two parts. And I may do two parts on 12 because time is getting rather far spent. Ezekiel 28 leads us to another situation where the prophet is talking to the king of Tyre. But by the time we get to verse 11, he starts talking more so about the powers that are working behind him. Now, I hope you notice that that theme happening in, in Isaiah 14. In Ezekiel 28, we see it happen again. And let's start reading in verse 11. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation unto the king Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden and the garden, in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was covering and the sardis and the topaz and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle and the gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes that prepared in thee in the day that was created. Thou art anointed cherub that covereth and have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God, and thou was walked up and down in the midst of stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude and by the merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was filled with Lifted up because of thy beauty, thou hast corrupted thy wisdom, thy reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground and I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities and by the, the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and I will devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all of them that behold thee. And all that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and thou shalt be any more, and never shalt thou be any more. Let's go back to verse 13. He says, And thou hast been in the garden of Eden. Every precious stone was thy covering, thy sardis, thy popaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. Workmanships of the tablets and the pipes was prepared in thee, and in the day thou was created. The language shifts. Now he's talking to the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre couldn't have been in Eden. So now the language shifts. We're no longer talking about the king of Tyre, but now the powers that are at work in him, he's an evil king. Probably self-obsessed. That's probably where it started. Pride, probably self-obsessed. And he sees Satan working in him. Now, when we start seeing semi-precious stones mentioned, that's usually an indicator we're talking about somebody who's clothed in light. Someone who um, is, 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 has a glorified body. Somebody who has been in the presence of God. Somebody who lives in that realm. Usually that also means that they're attractive, that they're easy to look at. They are, they are not hard on the eyes. Um, but what I also want you to see is that the workmanships of the tabrets and the pipes, he's a highly gifted musician. Okay. You know, 
work, work. He's highly gifted musician. So he's an attractive guy. Satan's an attractive guy. He's, he's a highly gifted musician. He is smelling himself. He is into some Lucifer. Lucifer likes himself. He is cool with himself. Verse 14, and thou anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so that thou was a holy mountain of God. And thou has walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He's anointed. He's appointed. He's set it apart. He's fueled. He was fueled by the power of God. He was a cherub, the highest, most consecrated portion of the angels. He's a cherub. He's a cherub that covers the guy who is in charge of the angels, the head. He is not just any angel. He's not just any old plain old average Joe. He's not just a normal guy. He's not just a, just a regular angel. He's not just somebody's guardian angel. He is the cherub that covered. And the Bible says he's the anointed cherub that covered. So he's the guy who's in charge of the angels. He's the guy, the, the guy. He's not a guy. He's the guy who's in charge. God has shown him favor. God has anointed him and appointed him and put him upon this holy mountain. God has shown him favor. He's communed with him. Lucifer found favor in the presence of God. Lucifer was God created him and showed him all types he had a good thing going. Had a great thing going. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. How many times do we come to the place when we got a good thing going and it wasn't enough? How many times do we find ourselves in a place where we become so obsessed with more that we miss where God has put us? It's never enough. We, we're making $100,000 a year, but now we're, we're embezzling. Because it was never enough. We're married to a pretty nice, nice girl. She cares for you. But now you see the girl walking down the street. It was never enough. It was never enough. And when it was never enough, we find ourselves falling, 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 falling. Because verse 15 says, thou was perfect in thy ways. And from the day you were created till the iniquity was found in thee, you were perfect, Lucifer. Loved you, Lucifer. We talked, Lucifer. We walked through the park, Lucifer. We spent time, Lucifer. You were perfect. I spent time on you. I spent time in you. You were perfect. From the day I made you, you were perfect. And then I see the most, the saddest word in the entire canon of scripture. Till. Until. You were perfect in my ways from the day that you were created until. Oh, that's a sad word. Talking about how how much work he put into him, how how on top of the world he was, how much favor he had shown him. You were perfect until iniquity was found in thee. You were perfect. It's 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 so sad. It's such a sad story. Such a sad story. I mean, he had he had the, uh, probably the best gig in the universe, and he wanted more. 
And the only thing was more was to be God, and, and he wanted to be God. Absolute power corrupts. It corrupts. He looked around and he saw the angels bowing down before him. I'm telling you, this is this is my conjecture. Saw the angels bowing down before God and, and they were worshiping God. And instead of being okay with being number one, second in command, he decides, I can be like God. I can be like God. And if I can be like God, they'll bow to me. Why can't they bow to me? I'm beautiful. They, I'm a great musician. I already have power. I have instinct. And because of it, a third of the angels fall with him. A third of the angels grow with him. The sin grows. And this is what happens. It happened to Satan. It can happen to you. Sin grows because sin begins sin. And sin often leads to psychosis. I know that's a strong conjecture. He had centuries, y'all, and millenniums to increase in psychosis, to, 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 to increase in dementation. And his goal, since he's been put out, has been your destruction. It's been your destruction since he's been put out. It's been your destruction. How can I hurt God? Let me hurt the man. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and, and behold, a great dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars in heaven and did cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the women, the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now you understand Satan. You understand the fall. You understand who he was. Uh, but we, we come here to understand that he did not rebel alone. His tail drew the third part of the stars in heaven. A third of the angels fell with him. Other angels, you know, he had authority. Third of the angels fell with him. They were put out of heaven. Put out of perfect peace. Put out of, of gloriness, glor glor gloriousness. They're put out. And so we tend to make two mistakes concerning Satan. We tend to make two mistakes concerning Satan. We either don't take him serious or we overreact in fear and terror. See, some people, oh, well, Satan, no, he's just, you know, yeah, he's... I don't, I don't believe it. You know, he's really not working. You know, you know, it's all right. God's good. Da, 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 da. We do that. We either don't take him serious or we overreact in fear and terror. And then every time we look around the corner, who's oh, the devil? Who's oh, the devil? You know, oh, I hear, you know, we, we overreact. And so we, but we cannot, we can't forget that as a Christian, that he who lives in us is, is greater than he who is in the world. We cannot forget that he has power, but we do need to understand that there are powers at work. Because if you don't understand that there are powers at work, you'll get sucked into, sucked into things of the occult. You'll be like, oh, I can do the Zodiac. Oh, let me go over here to this Buddhist retreat. Oh, you know, we'll, we'll do all of those things. Get sucked in and then ask myself, where, what happened and how did I get here? But you don't have to tremble in fear because he who lives in you is greater than he 
who is in the world. I want you to notice this, that from Jump Street, Satan is a liar. From Jump Street, from the very beginning, he's a liar. John 8, let's go to John 8 really quickly. John 8, 18. He says, I am the one that to bear witness of myself and the father that sent me to bear witness of me. And he said unto the, he said they unto him, where is my father? Jesus answered, ye neither know of me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. Let's jump down to verse 39 because we about to dig into something really hairy and really deep. They, uh, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that told you the truth which I heard of God. This did not Abraham. Yeah, ye do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we are born not of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. The lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, a bold not in truth, because there is no truth in him. Where he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not. Because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory, and there is not one that seeketh or judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keeps saying, he shall never see death. And he said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead in the prophets, and that thou sayest, If a man keeps my saying, he shall never taste death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? The prophets are dead, which makest thou thyself. Genesis answer, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If it is my father that honoreth me, of him of whom ye say that he is your God, yet You have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And when the Jews unto him, thou art yet fifty years, how hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, because Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. This is the conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. He's having this conversation and they have now gone deeper and further. And and they're having this conversation and this conversation kind of illuminates God's opinion of Satan. And they have, and I want, I want you to see, he's like, he's like, Abraham is our father. They say, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's kids, you would do the work of Abraham. Your hearts aren't like him. You think you're Jews. Oh, come on now, now. I'm, I'm about to step on the floor. You think you're Jews. 
but you don't act like them. Y'all think you're Christians. You call yourself a church, but you don't look like a church. You go to church for your own selfish reasons. It's all self-seeking. Mm, what does that sound like? But now you seek to kill me. And a man that have told you the truth, which I've heard from God, this did not Abraham. This is not who Abraham is. And ye do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. And see, a part of me thinks that they are trying to throw off on him because of the virgin birth. They're like, you, your mama, we know what your mama did. But you don't. You weren't there. You have no clue. We have one father, even God. They are alluding to his illegitimacy. And I think they're alluding to it in more ways than one. They're trying to allude to this Mary thing. Uh, but at the same time, they're, they're alluding to his illegitimacy because they know who he is. They think that this is just a man. How dare you claim that you are of God? And then I want you to see this. He said that Jesus said to them, if, if God, God were your father, you would love me. For I pursued it forth and came from God. Neither I came, came, I came from myself, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I'm saying is what he says. You know, he understands my speech. Even because you can't hear my word. He's, and then he says, you are the father. You are of your father, the devil. Now they've been alluding that he has a demon, but he calls him out. He says, you are of your father, the devil. The lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's alluding to what they're about to do to him. Okay. Or what they're going to attempt to, they're, what they're going to do in, in the end and what they're going to attempt to do at the end of this chapter. He says, he abode not in truth because the truth is not in him. He's a liar. And he, where he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of its own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He punches back with, uh, not with their physical line, but with their spiritual lineage. Ooh, ooh, come on now. Think about this. He thinks he says he's not talking about the fact that they're from Abraham. They want to talk about we're from Abraham where we got the true bloodline. But he's saying, do you have the heart? And because the heart was wrong, your spiritual lineage, may, your physical lineage may come from Abraham to make you a Jew. But do you have the spiritual lineage to get you into heaven? Do you have the heart after him? Do you have the thing that called him a friend of God? Because if you can't be a friend of God, what does it do? It, you, it doesn't do you much good to have the physical line of him. That's like you can look like your father, but if you can't do what your daddy does. And I want you to see this. The first murder was not Cain to Abel, but it was Satan robbing mankind. Because he, in verse 44, he says he's a murderer from the beginning. And since he's a murderer from the beginning, he says, he says, the you know, he says, he, he, he's a murderer from the beginning. And we, we, we often think of the first murder as Cain and Abel, but the first murder was not Cain and Abel because the first murder was him stealing the immorality, immortality, I'm sorry, immortality from Adam and Eve. He steals the, the, the immortality from Adam and Eve. And so where they were not to die, he takes it from them because they know not the wiser. They know not the wiser. And it all led with pride. It all led with pride. And that pride, ooh, that pride was in him. And it, it was so convinced that he was the guy, that he could be, that he was so puffed up in himself that he was given to lie. And he became a murderer. My, parent, my dad had a thing when I was a kid. I used to have a really bad lying problem. 
And my dad would always say, if you're a liar, you'll steal. If you'll steal, you'll kill. So just about every spanking I got as a child was because I lied. Because if you'll lie, you'll steal. And if you'll steal, you'll kill. And that's what happened because sin begets sin. And so Satan had all this time to be rank. To, to allow it to fester. And, you know, I often ask the question, I wonder, you know, Satan's can't, I mean, uh, d- devils, angels, 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 can't be forgiven, you know. But I really am curious, did they ever try? Did they ever make an attempt at repentance? I know what the theology we teach because we don't see them repenting. We don't see forgiveness coming to the angels. But I'm just curious, did they ever try? I don't know. That's just my conjecture. Verse 44, 45. And and because I tell you the truth, you believe me not, and which convinceth me of sin. And I say the truth. Why do you not believe me? And if he that is of God heareth God's words, ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. He returns and asserts that the powers here are not of God like they think they are. These guys are convinced that because they are Pharisees and because they know the word and because they have this line that it somehow makes them be what God wants them to be. They think that because of their birthright that they are, are privileged and there is a privilege to them who comes from Abraham. But he's saying there's more. You've got to hear the words of God. You've got to understand the words of God. You've got to have his spirit and you've got to hear his words. It doesn't matter how many offerings you can give. It doesn't matter how, how, how much you know the Torah and the Tanakh. It doesn't matter how much you know the Psalms and the prophets. It doesn't matter how much you can quote Solomon or David. It doesn't matter these things because if you can't hear the words of God today, if you can't recognize his spirit today, baby, you've gone astray. And he's deceived you. Mm. Then, then in verse 48, he says, then the Jews said unto him, shall say we well, we say we not well, but thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. And Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father. And yet you dishonor me and I seek not mine own glory. There is one that, that seeketh and judges. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keeps saying he shall never see death. Then said the Jews now. We know you have a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And thou saying, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste death. What, 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 what we're seeing here is that they are not spiritual at all. They think they're spiritual. Ooh, They really think they're spiritual. Sounds like a church we talked about, doesn't it? They think they're spiritual, but they are not spiritual at all. They have physical eyes. They know the word, but their eye, their heart has not penetrated so that they can see the word. Because the word is standing in front of them. Verse 53, he says, our greater father, Abraham, which is dead and the prophets are dead. What, whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If my father that honoreth me of whom ye say that he is your God, yet you have not known him, but I know him. If I should say, I know him, I shall be like a liar, like unto you, but I know him and I keep his saying. And your father, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said unto him, you're not even 50. 50 years old. How could you see Abraham again? They cannot see in the spirit. They do not understand who they're sitting before and they cannot recognize the presence of God because they've been far from it. 
And then Jesus says, check mate. Verse 58. Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I said unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Directly pointing to God, directly pointing to the burning bush. And, and, and this is something that a Pharisee, a Sadducee, or a Jew would recognize. They recognize that he is making the claim that he is God. And then, if you miss what he's saying or what's happening in the text, the Pharisees are very good about underlining it, making it very clear <laughs> that they're making it very clear things that we would miss because we are not Jewish. He says, they say in 59, then they took up stones to cast at him and Jesus hid himself and went out in the temple going to the midst of, they tried to kill him because he made the claim that he was God. They sound a lot like the church at Ephesus. They sound a lot like the church at Ephesus. You remember the church at Ephesus? went in there and uh, they were trying to defend the word, but they forgot Jesus. And I think that is one of the repercussions is we'll try to try the word by the word, right? We'll, you know, we'll try to try the spirits and we'll, we'll try to see the fruit thereof. We'll try to defend the faith and try to keep people out. But sometimes we'll miss the presence of God because we hadn't been in it. And so we can't recognize it anymore. We, it's been so long that we don't recognize it. It doesn't even bring back nostalgia. It's been so long. I think that's what's happening here. These guys have not had an encounter with God that when God shows up, they reject him. Oh, that's depressing. You work to serve him. You worked into being his name. You work to make, to sh- make him proud. But when he shows up, when he shows up, you don't even recognize it. Oh, that's depressing. Oh, that's depressing. When he shows up, you can't even recognize him. Oh, man, that's terrible. But that's what happened. But they, 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 they get ready to cast, they, we, they get ready to, to, to cast thrones at him. Satan is so much a liar that he works to deceive, especially when he works to make the truth look like a counterfeit. And that's what he did there. Um, now, we talked, we talked about the seed of the woman a few verses ago, but we, we also are here to look at the seed of the serpent and those about to come on his head. Now we're considering spiritual warfare. I want you to study carefully Daniel 10. I'm not going to go there today because I think I'm going to have to split this one in half uh, because yeah, I don't see y'all listening to this for three hours. Um, But I want you to consider spiritual warfare because in Daniel 10, he fasts for three weeks and after three weeks, a messenger goes up. And when he, when he shows up, he says, I was coming to you when you first started praying, but I got in a fight with the King of Persia. Again, I don't think this is the physical King of Persia. I think it's the spirit that rules him. And Michael, the archangel had to come and rescue me. Okay. You know, Michael, the chief warrior, anytime we see, um, a, a hairy situation. Michael is coming in to fight with him. Michael had to come help me. Michael, um, he continues that he, he insinuates that he had to go back and fight him some more after him. He's got to go fight the Prince of Greece, which isn't to happen in world history until two centuries later. And so we, we know that they're wrestling. These spirits are wrestling outside of time and outside of our time domain. But in all of this, we get a glimpse of what's happening behind the veil. See, a lot of times we see what we see, um, and we try to draw conclusions from what we see and we miss completely what's going on in the spiritual realm because we don't spend enough time there. We don't spend enough time in the war room. We don't spend enough time on spiritual warfare. But but we see that Daniel is on earth fasting. 
and he's fasting until he gets a word from God. And the moment he starts praying, God sends the angel. But when the angel's on the way, a demon tries to come and intercept the messenger. Because maybe if I can keep him fasting long enough, he'll lose faith. Oh, come on, Holy Spirit. Maybe if I can keep him down there fasting and praying and focused on what God can do and holding out, maybe I can, I can, I can make this fast be a test that he'll give up in this. And maybe God doesn't answer my prayers. Maybe God can't help me. But, but the messenger wrestles and Daniel's faith was in such a place that he tarries there until he shows up. He tarries there until he shows up. I, I want you all to understand that Satan is a deluder. He works tirelessly to keep you distracted. If he can keep you distracted, if he can convince you contrary to what God has said, he works to appear like God. And then he works behind the scenes to twist and contort things. Have you thinking you're right, but you'd be wrong. Have you thinking you're wrong, but you're right. That's why it's so important that you be in touch and in tap with the Holy Spirit. That you spend time, regular time in his presence. Because without it, apart from it, you may fall yourself falling into one of these traps we talked about today. Now, next time, we're going to pick back up at verse 4 of Revelation and we're going to try to move through it. And now that I think we've laid a foundation of the fall of Satan, who Satan is, what Satan has done, what his sins have been, I think we can better move through this chapter and the rest of Revelation and understand what we're dealing with. I think we spent a considerable amount of time building an understanding of what Satan does how heinous, how rank, how nasty he is. Now that we've built this case, now that we can understand that he's not anybody we want to be fooling with. And we understand that we have power. I want you to understand we have power. We have power. You, you, you're not weak. You have power. And, and, and in case I need to show you, you got power. I, I might need to do that really quickly. You have power. Satan, look, Satan is, is nasty. And I know we talked that we we talked at length about um about his 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 trickery today but i want you to understand that he is really not that well equipped now he's not an idiot he is he's he is an intelligent fellow but but he made you an intelligent creation too that's why he he thinks of you as a um um uh, as an adversary but i want i want you i really 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 want you to understand that even though he tricked at Eve into falling. He tricked her in her innocence. You now have information. You got this canon of scripture. You have the privilege of prayer. You have, you there, you have, even though you don't have the glorified body nor the innocence, you have the tools to f- defeat the wiles of Satan. Okay. I want to say this because we talked about the garden in the fall and, and I, but I want you to see this, that, Satan has an empty bag of tricks. He is a trickster, but his bag of tricks have limited power. Okay, limited power, limited power. Let's quickly go over to Matthew 4. Um, Matthew 4, we go 
and 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 there was Jesus. He was led up in the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he fasted forty days and forty nights, he was after a hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, "If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread." And when he answered, he said, "It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. For every word proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That the devil taketh him up to the holy city and sitteth him um, on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. down for it is written." that he shall give his angels charge concerning them and thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And the said unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou fall down and worship me. And he said, he saith to Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him thou shalt thou serve. And the devil left him and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. I want you to see this there. He has, he has tricks, but Satan is predictable. Now in his predictability, he is unpredictable. He is crafty. He does try to do things, but I want you to see what he does. He exposes himself in the garden of Eden and right here because he uses the same tricks. He's not that gifted. All right. Now he does play on your mind and your thoughts because if he can convince you of something, he can convince you to do stuff. But I want you to see in what I just read to you, Jesus is in the wilderness. Now, this is right after, all right, right after he shows up and John the Baptist is baptizing people and John the Baptist is baptizing people and he's, they've asked him questions and John the Baptist says, look, I am not the Messiah. I am not a prophet. I am not Elijah. I'm the one crying in the wilderness saying, make your path straight. And he makes this, this, this assertion and Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, he says, John, I need you to baptize me. And he says, you know what? I'm not worthy. He says, this is the will of God. I need you to baptize me. John baptizes him. And when he baptizes him, God rips heaven and heaven and earth open. And he says, that's my boy. He says, that is my son of whom I am well pleased. And he, he, he rips open the sky. He says that yeah, I am proud of you, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, the sweet Holy Spirit, the God of peace falls on him. And he gets his power. There goes that water again. Y'all remember I talked about the water, that cross over the water. John, he shows up, he's, he, he gets the Holy Spirit. But that same sweet spirit drives him into the wilderness. Now, I want, I want to take this discourse because a lot of times we think the Holy Spirit is just supposed to be sweet and it's supposed to feel so good and he's supposed to be just all just wonderful and Jesus is great. The whole same sweet dove that descended over him drives him into the wilderness. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will drive you into places that seem heinous and un, 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 understandable. Why would God do this? Because he needs to do something. He sends him there and he has to fast for 40 days and 40 nights in extreme heat in the day and extreme cold in the, in the evening. And so he, he sent there before his strengthening. He sent to training camp. He sent to training camp because what's coming is he's going to, he's sent to training camp because say God knows Satan's coming. So the Holy Spirit drives him into training camp. I mean, he starves him. He puts him in the heat. He puts him in the cold. He, he breaks down his flesh. He subdues the flesh. And after he subdued the flesh, Satan shows up because Satan perceives that, oh, he's weak. 
Let me see if I can go in here and derail this. Because he saw God split the, the skies open. He was aware. God has co-signed. This Messiah thing is close. How can we intercept it? And so the tempter came to him and he says, if thou be the son of God, turn the stones to men. I know you're hungry. Since I know you're hungry, why don't you eat? And I want you to see what he does. He says, it is written. He knew the word. He says, man should not eat by bread alone. It's written. You know it's written. Satan, you know it's written. You, you're not an idiot and you know how God works. It is written. And then he, Satan takes him up to the holy city and sent him at the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you be the son of God, to cast thyself son down, self down. Because Satan does know the word. He says, for it is written. His angels give charge concerning thee. And their hands shall bear thee up. Lest any time to bash thy foot against the stone. And he says, for it is written, tempt not the Lord thy God. You should know that. You got put out of heaven for this. And then the devil takes him to an exceedingly high mountain and he shows him all the kingdom of the world and, and all the glory of him. And he says, all these things I will give you if you worship me. And he says, get thee hence, for it is written, worship not the Lord thy God. Get out of here, Satan. You know better than that. What Jesus does is Jesus knows the word and he works the word against the wiles of Satan because the word cannot return void. He knows how to subdue his flesh is subdued. And so it's easy to withstand Satan because Satan was whispering in his ear, the things he whispers in our ears. If you'll worship this car and don't go to church, clean the car, don't go to church. Worship yourself. Don't go to church. Lay in the bed. Don't get up and, and have your prayer time. Stay right there. He, he, he plays on the pride of life. His falling, his, his, his major thing. He plays on the pride of life. Then he says, why don't, you, why don't you try to throw yourself down? Why don't you, why don't you be suicidal without knowing you're suicidal? Without thinking that, that, that you're going to abort purpose. And then he says, why don't you make this eat? Why don't you feed your flesh? Why don't you get the lust of your eyes? The lust of your flesh and the pride of life. He only has three tricks. Now he works them in our minds all day long. For the Christian, that's all he can do because he can't touch a hair on your head. But if he can get in your thoughts, if he can convince you that the pride, God, that the pride Pride, pride, pride. He can convince you that your pride is too big. If he can convince you that your pride is too big. If he can convince you that your pride is too big, that they'll never see you the same. They have no respect for you. If he can convince you that your pride is too big, he can keep you wrapped up. He can keep you wrapped up. Don't fall. Don't fall for the trick. Don't fall for the trick. Don't fall for the trick. Because we do it. And that pride leads to lying to cover it up. That pride leads to lying to cover it up. 
that lying leads to stealing to cover it up that stealing leads to, to all the time we we do so many things and it leads us into a path that we say how in the world did i get here and i, I would imagine satan has days like that how in the world did i get here i was on the top i was i was in heaven i was in perfect peace how did i get here that pride <sighs> Next time, next time we're going to pick up at verse 4 in Revelation 12, and we're going to move on through. But I want you to understand what we're dealing with. I think that this was, this, even though it went longer than I planned, I think that we, we, it's important that we deal with the person of Satan. Because for your living, for your living, but also your understanding. I, I think it's important that we deal with that because if we can deal with that and we can understand who he is and what he is, maybe we can better fight him. And if we can better fight him, we'll do all right. Y'all be blessed.